Welcome to Glory Stories with Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn was one of the top eye surgeons in America and has traveled to many countries in the world preaching the Word of God. She also opened up an eye surgery center in Beijing, China, where she did free eye surgery on those in need. Dr. Vaughn will be sharing many of her personal experiences from God. In addition, you will hear of others that have known God in an intimate way and seen His miracle-working power. As you hear about how God has worked in the lives of others, our hope is that you will be changed forever. Get ready for God to heal you, deliver you, and transform your life as you sit back and enjoy these glory stories. Welcome to Glo Glory Stories today. Uh, today I'm going to take you to Africa with me. Uh, the first time I went to Africa was in 1985, and one of the things that was very memorable about that trip was uh, well, I was speaking at a conventions down, convention down there, and one afternoon we had some time off, and so uh, one of the young women took me to, to a Zulu encampment. I don't know what you call it, a, a Zulu, where the Zulus live. And the witch doctor of that Zulu tribe came out, and the woman that was bringing me spoke their language. And so she spoke to him in, in her language, in their language, I don't know what she said, but when she finished speaking, then this Zulu witch doctor came over to me, knelt down in front of me, and I didn't know why he was doing that, but I proceeded to, to pray for him and ask God to save his soul and ask God to reveal himself to this Zulu witch doctor and to his wife and that he would become a, a Christian leader in his community. And so I never saw that man again, but I, I believe that God heard and answered that prayer. So when I get to heaven, I look forward to seeing that Zulu witch doctor that was no longer a witch doctor. Uh, I guess you could see by the picture he had all kinds of beads in his hair, and he, he was wearing some sort of skin uh, belt across his chest and skin things below. And uh, I laid hands on him to pray for him. And whatever he was, whatever he had on him, some sort of ointment made out of only God knows what, it, it smelled so, so terrible. And I was preaching that night, and I remember I went home, I washed my hair, I washed my hands, I washed my hands over and over and over, washed myself all over, and, and I could still smell that smell. It was not a natural smell. You know, we've all smelled bad natural smells. This was like something something supernatural bad it was really bad and I could understand that with him being a witch doctor they make potions out of all kinds of ungodly things uh, in fact you know not long ago when I was in Africa uh, I I was with a pastor and he told me that he bought babies because people were selling babies their their babies and uh, witch doctors would buy those babies and make potions out of the babies. Now, I know that's, that's ghastly to you if you're any kind of a decent human being, but that's what they were doing. And so he bought as many babies as he could and took them himself and, you know, raised them and let them have a chance at, at life and to know Jesus Christ and to have, be a good human being. And so uh, I, d I hadn't gone back to Africa in quite a while, but recently I went back again and I wanted to share some things that happened in, that I saw happen in Africa this last time. Uh, in one of the countries where I was, we were having big 
open air crusade meetings at night in open field. It was just like dirt field, except when it rained, it turned into mud, uh, which did happen on several occasions. They had a lot of exhilarating music there, and a, a lot of the people would be involved in the dancing, and they had uh, young men up on the stage, on the podium, that were doing all kinds of uh, gyrations and, and dances and energetic dances and jumping around. And, you know, people loved to see that. They loved to watch all of that. And they had a band up on the stage, and so they were playing uh, music, and everybody was having a really good time. It wasn't like a, a somber church meeting, you know, where you... Anyway, it wasn't like that. It was full of joy, full of life, full of energy, and uh, with the music going, it could be heard for blocks and blocks and blocks around. And, of course, the people love to come over there and, and hear the music and see the dancing on the stage and, and participate themselves in the dancing. And so they were having a really good time. And then, of course, the Word of God was presented to them. And, uh, of course, many, many people got saved and accepted Jesus as their Savior, even people of other faiths that happened to be there. And also we saw a lot of miracles uh, one woman had a tumor that was as large as uh, about a grapefruit, and it just instantly disappeared by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And other people, one lady had multiple sclerosis, and uh, God completely healed her, and she was dancing before the whole thing was over. Deaf people could hear, blind people could see. So wonderful miracles happened then. Uh, we, we got to visit some interesting places during the daytime. One of them was a women's prison, and uh, the, the warden of that prison was a Christian woman. She'd been the warden for about two years. And when she became the warden of the prison, she allowed the women to have freedom instead of they weren't behind bars or anything. They had some freedom. There was regulation. There was order. But she gave them freedom, and she gave them a sense of some sort of self-esteem. Self and, and so many of the women were saved under her leadership. They slept basically on a concrete floor with a little padding on it. They had, they had a building over their head, but the windows had no panes in the windows, so there was, it was open air, and it would, be, it would be cold, and they had a lot of needs. You know, they needed to have dishes because they, were, they ate out of little buckets like, you know, like a pig would eat out of a bucket. That's what they were eating out of because they didn't have any plates. And they didn't have good water. It had to be shipped into them. So they had a lot of needs. Uh, the, some of the women in there were really not at all criminals, not at all, and really shouldn't have been there. We were told an example of one lady that her children needed food, and someone offered her some gazelle meat. And so she was feeding her children this gazelle meat, and the authorities came in and found her feeding her children gazelle meat. They arrest her because it's against the law to kill a gazelle, which she didn't kill a gazelle, but because her children were so hungry, she was feeding the meat to them. So they take her away and put her in prison for 10 years. Actually, they, they would allow her, if she could have paid the price they said, they would have released her on the spot. But she didn't have the money to pay that price, and most of these women didn't have the money to pay whatever they were asking them to pay. They just didn't have it. And so they put him in prison. And we found out that for 50, an average of $50 per prisoner, if somebody would pay that, they would let that prisoner go free. And some of these women had babies there and little children. 
They allowed the women to keep their children till they were four years old, and then they, they had to give them up. They took the children away, and you know the mother would lose her children. And so uh, those of us in our small group, we took as much money as we could, put it together. That was on a Saturday. We went to the prison. And Monday morning, because of the money that we gave them, they let 27 women and their children free out of that prison Monday morning. And uh, we were so happy about that because, as I said, most of these women, or many of these women, I don't know what percentage, but many of the women definitely were not criminals and really shouldn't have been in there in the first place. They just didn't have the money to do anything different. Uh, he also told us an example of the men's prison, which did similar things. Uh, there was one young man, and his father was, was dying, and it was cold, and so he went out to gather some sticks and try to make a little fire for his father, and he was gathering some loose dead sticks and off of some land there, and the man who owned the land came out, and he said, you're stealing from my property, and he called the police, and the boy couldn't pay whatever they wanted him to pay, so they took him and put him in an adult prison with all these uh, criminals, and uh, so these kind of stories kind of break your heart. By the way, the boy's father died two weeks after that. He didn't have any warmth and he didn't have any care because the boy was gone to prison. You hear stories like that and you want to do everything you can to help these circumstances. And I, I plan to help as much as I can in future. Another place that we went was called the dump. The reason it was called that's because it was the dump. It was the city dump for, for this city. 600 people lived in that dump and lived off the garbage in that dump. And I have pictures of little children, little, you know, little one-year-old, two-year-old children sitting in piles of garbage and playing with the garbage and playing with the dirt, and, and uh, it breaks your heart. But they do the best they can. Some of the women were taking things from the trash, paper articles from the trash, and making jewelry. In fact, this this necklace right here, I purchased this at the dump, and I think it's beautiful. I love this piece of jewelry. Uh, it's made out of all out of paper products from the dump in this town. Of course, we talked to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and many of those people were getting saved too. There was a pastor that was particularly involved in, in the dump because when he was a boy, his parents were killed in an auto accident when he was a young child, and he didn't have any home he didn't have any place to go and so he ended up growing up in the dump a large part of the time and uh, because of that he had a real heart for these kind of people and he tried to help them the best he could he had created like little schools for different age children and we went to a kindergarten class there it was just you know a very meager place where they were meeting but they were being taught songs about Jesus and being taught about Jesus and what a thrill that was to see those little children being taught about Jesus where their situation that could have been considered totally hopeless was now a situation of hope. Uh, the last day that I was in that country was quite an interesting day. Started off Sunday morning, that's a church morning, and there were, there were three of us that were pastors, I guess four of us really, and so they sent each one of us to different, I'm not a pastor, but I'm a, I'm a missionary. So they sent the pastors to all different churches. They sent me to another, a different church also. Of course, I knew nothing about this church or the people or anything about it. It was just brand new. Everything was new to me. So 
I just let the Spirit of the Lord say whatever he wanted to say. And I ended up talking to them about being saved, and a few people responded. I talked to them about being baptized in the Holy Ghost, and a few people of them responded. But I could tell, I could tell by looking at the people in the congregation that many, many, in fact, I'd say most, I'd say the large majority of them were people that had sin in their lives that did not respond to the altar call. They were cold in their hearts toward God, and they needed, they needed Jesus. They needed to be revived. They needed the fire of God. So I just came off of the pulpit and started laying my hands on them. And there were two women that, that had come with, with me to help me. I told them to go out into the congregation, start laying hands. My interpreter, I knew she was a spiritual woman. I asked her to go lay hands. So between, between the four of us, we laid hands on everybody in that congregation. And I was praying for them to be filled with the Spirit of God and for the fire of God to come on the people. And they, were, they started crying. Some of them came, got off their chairs and got on their knees. I remember one lady, I don't think anybody had even laid hands on her. And she fell out of her chair, flat on her face on the concrete floor. And she just laid there under the power of the Spirit of God. And by the time that everybody was prayed for, the fire of God was really powerful in that room. And I knew that lives had been completely transformed by the presence of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to that pastor and to that congregation. The word was that the fire that God had started today in that church would not die, but it would be augmented and augmented, that the fire would be sparks would go off to other, other churches, other places in that city and into that country and even beyond that because of the fire that God had built in that church that day. So that was a joyful occasion for everybody involved. Uh, I found out later in the day something that I certainly had not known, and that was that the, the pastor of that church had gotten very discouraged and had decided that if God didn't do something in that service for that church, that that pastor was going to quit being pastor and shut the church down. So God saved the life of that pastor that day, the life of that church that day, by his power and his might. And he did it without me knowing one single thing about it, which is what I like. Then you know that it's God. You know for sure that it's God. Well, then I flew out of that African country and I went to a different African country. I was scheduled to speak in a leadership conference that morning. And it was so interesting. God woke me up that morning with these words. He said, lead as you are led. Think about that. Now, so I started thinking. I was still laying in bed when he said to the, that to me, lead as you are led. Because, you know, if we're led by Jesus, then we're led with kindness, with love, with patience that just is awe-inspiring. I mean, he's been so patient with me. Hasn't he told you to do things? Maybe you forgot or you didn't do it. He'll, he'll tell you again. And, and if he needs to, he'll tell you again. He'll tell you as many times as you need to be told. And he never turns his back on you. He never walks away from you. He never gets angry, you know, with you. He's just patient and kind and loving. And so that's the way that I personally have been led by Jesus Christ. So he's telling me to teach the leaders there to lead other people the way that they are being led by Christ. 
And then he said a second thing. He said, your ability to lead will never exceed your ability to follow. These are profound things. He's telling me while I'm still laying in bed and I haven't even awakened very well. Your ability to lead, if you want to be a leader, your ability to lead will never exceed your ability to follow. In other words, follow him. If you don't follow him closely, you're not going to be a good leader of other people. I'm going to say it one more time. Your ability to lead will never exceed your ability to follow. And the third thing he told me was, learn to be led. Learn to be led, which is what we all need. If you're smart enough to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, and he's leading you, you need to learn how to follow him and, and let him, you know, we, we know David, or maybe you know King David from the Bible, and he was a shepherd boy before he became a king. And so he knew how to be led because he was a shepherd and he led sheep. And the Bible tells us that we, if we're Christians, that we are, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, and that he's the good shepherd that protects us and takes care of us and leads us and provides for us. So we need to learn to be led by the Spirit of God. Well, that night I was at a fantastic church. I, I loved the church I ministered at that night because they were all so full, of, so full of the joy of the Lord and they were all dancing, dancing African dances, which I, you know, I learned how to do a few of the things the Africans <laughs> were doing. I didn't do them like they did them, but, you know, I did them the best I could. And a lot of shoulder motion and just, just kind of different motions. And they were just, but they were worshiping God. They were worshiping God with the dance and with song and with great joy, exuberant joy. And it was so wonderful to be in that church. I love that church. I like to transport it and, and continue to be in that church. But, you know, when I started preaching, they just, they... I just went on preaching and they kept saying they want more, more. And it was, it was a Wednesday night, so it was night time. And they kept saying they want more, they want more. So I keep on preaching. Well, uh, in the middle of that, someone, I couldn't tell who it was. It was kind of a large congregation. But someone started coughing and just continued to cough and cough and cough and cough and cough and cough and cough. And just kept cough, 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 cough. They didn't stop. I don't know how they could do that without breathing more. But they just, they never stopped coughing. And it was distracting to the whole congregation. And they weren't doing it on purpose. They just couldn't help it. And they just sat in their seat and continued coughing. So I came off the pulpit. I know the Spirit of God was in control of me because this is not something I would do in the natural. I came off the pulpit and I, and I, and I found the person that was coughing. I went down and she was about two-thirds of the way back and over a couple of people on the left-hand side. And I went straight over to that woman and I said, I bind you, spirit of infirmity, in the name of Jesus Christ. You leave this woman right now. And I said, you respiratory system, you be healed, you be well, and don't you cough not one more time in the name of Jesus. And I turned around and walk off. She got quiet. She didn't cough the rest of the whole service. She didn't cough, not one more time, which shows us the power that we have over the power of the enemy that was making her cough and the power that God's given us to, be, to have dominion on this earth. God gave us dominion on this earth 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little subsequent thing that happened with that same episode. So now I come back to my home in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I'm ministering to a group of, of people in, in a church in my home town, in my hometown, home, home area. So I'm telling them about this episode of this woman coughing. So to demonstrate to them how I was doing this, I proceed to walk out into the number of, in the congregation and go two-thirds of the way back and go over a couple people on the left, just like I did in the church in Africa. And, I, and so I just picked out a woman that happened to be sitting about in that same proximity. And so I, I was demonstrating when I said, I, I bind that spirit of infirmity away from you in the name of Jesus Christ, you be gone right now. And, you know, and I went on teaching about other things. Well, that was, that was one day. The next day, I went to church, and someone stopped me when I was going in the door, and they said, you know that lady that you, that you spoke to yesterday in church like that? I said, yeah, I remember doing that. She said, see, I didn't know this, but God knew this. She was having severe pain in her hands. And when I spoke to that spirit of infirmity in the name of Jesus, it left her very, it left her immediately and her hands felt fine. Well, it demonstrated to me that I don't even know what God is doing through me. See, you may not know what God is doing through you, but you don't need to know. He knows. He knows. The spirit of God knows what's wrong with that lady. I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, in my mind, I wasn't praying for that lady or speaking to any infirmity in that lady, but, but the Spirit of God was speaking through me to the infirmity in that lady without me knowing it. You understand? That's what happened. So, so back to Africa now. So the next day I was preaching in, in a different place every, all the time, and so the next day I had a, a, another, another church, and I was explaining to them about being saved. I was explaining that if you walk out of that door, to, it was a night meeting, if you walk out of that door tonight and a car hits you and you die, and if you have any sin in your life at all, the devil's going to come get you and take you straight to hell because of the sin in your life. If you walk out of that door, on the other hand, and get hit by a car and killed, and all of your sin has been erased away by the blood of Jesus... Then when you come before, the angels will come and take you to God and you'll stand before God and God will say, you have no sin in your life. I see that you're covered and washed clean with the blood of Jesus. Come on in. Welcome in. I have a mansion ready for you and they'll be happy eternally. When I explain that to people, it seems like a very very simple decision that they want to follow Christ. So when I explain that to people, literally, I'm going to say, I'm going to say at least half of the congregation came to the altar to get right with God, to make sure of their salvation. About half of them came forward. And we prayed a prayer together of salvation. And so at the, at the altar area, there was a long line of people that had just prayed the prayer of salvation. And I just left them there and I said, now who else, who would like to come down here and be baptized with the Holy Ghost and join these people? And, by, and a lot more people came. By that time, I'd say two-thirds of the congregation was down there wanting to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, I knew there was so many people and that it would be, you know, 
actually what happened, the Holy Ghost just took me over because when the Holy Ghost takes you over, he does things his way and you don't even, you don't even know what he's going to do. You don't plan it. You don't think about it. And it's good you don't think about it because if you did think about it, you probably wouldn't want to do it. So I went to that far end, one far end of the line of people. And I said, now, when I lay hands on this man and I ask God to baptize him in the Holy Ghost, I said, every one of you in this line is going to begin speaking in tongues because that's what happens when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost. Just like the day of Pentecost in Acts, the second chapter, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, they all started speaking with unknown tongues. So that's what I said. So I laid hands on this first man. I start, I asked the Lord to to baptize him in the Holy Ghost. And as soon as I do that, he starts speaking in tongues. And all of these people, so I look down the row, the whole row full of people is, is praying in tongues. And now I'm astounded because the Holy Ghost has fallen on all these people at once and he's done his work. So simple. It's so simple. These things are not hard for God. These are easy things for God. So that's what happened in that particular church. Then the next night I was in a different church. And that was also a very interesting situation because when I gave them a chance to get right with the Lord, in that church, this was amazing. I would say 85 to 90% of the people in that church wanted to get right with the Lord, including a visiting pastor, he had come and brought his church for that night service. The visiting pastor came to the altar. I noticed the leaders from the church I was in came to the altar. The song worship leaders, they came to the altar. As I said, 85 to 90% of the people came to the altar to get right with God. They were hungry for God. And so, you know, we prayed with them and asked God to, to erase all of their sins out of their life in the name of Jesus and I began to lay, lay hands on the people and, and call the fire of God down, the fire of God, the fire of God, the fire of God. And as I prayed for the people for the fire of God, the Holy Spirit was, was putting them uh, out under the Spirit. You know, he was just putting them out under the Spirit. And those people were getting totally revived and revamped by the Spirit of God. And the fire of God was falling on them. Uh, some of you know this, but some of you don't know the Bible well enough to know this. But in the book of Revelation, there was a church, and Jesus was talking to the, this church called Laodicea. And he said to them, he said, I wish that you would be either hot or cold. I can't stand for you to be lukewarm. He said, I feel like the King James is spewing you out of my mouth, but what it means literally is vomiting you out of my mouth when you're lukewarm. And it's interesting that he'd rather you be even cold. He said hot or cold. He wants you to be hot rather than lukewarm. It's sickening to Jesus for somebody and lots of Christians are just, oh, well, you know, let's go to church. And they think going to church is going to get you in heaven. It's not going to get you in heaven. Your whole life can be full of sin just as easy in a church pew as it can in a bar. And a lot of Christians are in that situation. They don't want to face it, but it's the truth. God knows the truth. And when they get in front of him, they're going to have to be accountable for the truth. So it's best that, that they decide to not be lukewarm anymore, that they decide that they're going to be consecrated Christians, give their lives to Jesus Christ, get everything straightened out with him, because there will be a day of reckoning. So lukewarmness doesn't, doesn't pass the test. 
Coldness certainly doesn't pass the test. We all need to have the fire of God to where we, we, are, we are bodies available to Jesus Christ, available to the Holy Spirit to flow through us and bring other people into the saving knowledge of Christ, to bring people out of darkness into the light, to bring people out of where they're on a slippery slope headed to hell and, and you know it and you can pull them back and save them by the name of Jesus and bring them into heaven, into eternal bliss with God the Father. So it's up to us to ask God to set us on fire, to set us on fire, make us fire warriors for Jesus Christ. And our job is to, is to reap the harvest of souls and bring them into the kingdom of God while there's still the opportunity. Take this to heart today. Ask God to set you on fire. Ask him to make you a powerful witness for Jesus Christ because time really is short. We'll see you next time. We hope that you enjoyed these stories of the glory of God. We believe that each story we tell will help build your faith and help to bring a miracle into your life. For more information about this program and Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn, visit her website at godsinstrument.com, her YouTube channel at Glory Stories Now, or write her at Elizabeth Vaughn Ministries Incorporated, P.O. Box 454, Argyle, Texas 76226, USA.